It's a great question, right? So what do we do? Well, that's why we're in this series called The Quest. And uh, we have hoped to provide you with some answers to that question, what do we do throughout this series? Uh, Listen, if you haven't yet picked up the book, The Quest, written by Darren Key, uh, we have a free copy for you, one available for every household, not every individual, but every household available out there in our lobby. Make sure you grab yours on the way out. And I want to let you know, uh, one of the things that we're providing for you to help answer that question, what do we do, is that next week right here at 6.30, Uh, On Sunday evening, November 20th, we are hosting a legacy planning seminar, and our ministry partners at Christian Financial Resources are putting this on for us, and they they provide these all over the U.S. every year, throughout the year, and if you attend this legacy planning seminar, uh, then on the backside of that, they will help you provide or help you create a living will and a trust, uh, healthcare directives, uh, basically an entire estate plan for you. And so if you don't have a will, you don't have a trust, uh, that's something that you really need to do, and it's free. It's free. And that's worth several thousand dollars if you go press that stuff out. And uh, so we wanna make sure that you're aware of that. You can RSVP for the Lacey Planning Seminar by texting NOTES to 502-289-1387. You'll get a link and you can RSVP around on there. So listen, I don't mind if you do that right now. (laughs) If you text it in, you can sign up for it. Also, if you text NOTES to that number, you'll get a link to our sermon notes. We have some fill in the blanks there. We have space for you to take your own notes. Uh, We have a cheat sheet with the notes already filled out. You'll know what I'm gonna say before I say it. It's weird, I used to be a teacher that just doesn't sit well with me. I feel like I'm giving you the answers prematurely, but that's all right. Uh, So text notes, get the sermon notes, and RSVP for the Legacy Planning Seminar. Well, when my wife and I were in our first year of marriage, the car that I'd been driving was in its last year of life. Jen and I got married in June of 2000, and by spring of 2001, my 1982 Honda Prelude wasn't doing so well. And I loved that car. It still ranks as perhaps my favorite car that I've ever owned. It was just a classic. It was fun. It was a classic old style. But by the time that we were like not even a year into our marriage, the odometer had gone out. That car had 250,000 plus miles. We're not sure exactly how many miles we got on it because I drove it for about a year and some change after the odometer stopped working the third time. And so not only was the odometer not working, neither was the power steering or power brakes. Now I had brakes and I had steering. It just wasn't power. So you got a good workout telling that car where to go and stopping it once you got it there. Um, the power moon moved in. Actually, it worked to open, but to crank it, or to close it, you had to crank it, which is just the opposite of what you want. Like, it's okay if it takes a little time to open up, but when you see the rain is imminent on the horizon and you're trying to close that thing, it takes like 150 cranks as you're driving. It's just not a convenient way to do things. Also, the speedometer had gone out. So I learned very quickly that I didn't want to be the fastest dude on the road. <laughs> and you learn to gauge how fast you're going by other cars. And you learn, like that young guy who's probably in high school, he's not the one you want to gauge off of, right? So I learned my tachometer, like one of the only things that still worked on that car, the tachometer and the quartz clock. So I learned to gauge how fast I was going by looking at other cars and seeing how many RPMs I had. And they're just kind of, you know, putting some little marks on the tacky to, you know, I'm about this fast at this speed. And it worked. But eventually, I needed a new car. So 
my wife and I set our budget, and we had a pretty conservative budget. We didn't need a fancy car. We just needed something with good gas mileage that would get me where I was going, something a little newer, a little bit better than what we had. So I started going to the dealerships and started looking at cars and pricing them out. And we had a pretty tight budget. But I let the dealer talk me into this one car. Man, I sat it. Just talk me into a test drive, right? Just, just, just sit in it. Just take it for a ride see what happens. Oh, man, when I felt those smooth leather seats, when I listened to that premium audio, when I felt and heard the roar and the speed of that engine, and, man, not to mention all the things that car had on it, whoo, baby. So I called Jen up, and I said, hey, I think we can stretch our budget. I think we can make this work. It's going to be tight, but it'll be fine. We'll do good. And I got duped. We got that car, and a couple days later discovered that it, was a lemon. Yeah. We violated a principle. I violated a principle that we had decided to live by when we first got married. We knew that finances could be one of the things that could take a marriage down, so we wanted to make sure that wasn't going to happen to us. So we lived by the Larry Burkett principles, what we call the Larry Burkett principles, one of his principles. Larry Burkett was the lead guy at Crown Financial Resources. Uh, back in the day, he was kind of a guru of Christian finances. Great guy. God's just, man, God used him to help the kingdom. And he had this principle. Any major investment, any major purchase, pray about it for 48 hours before you buy. I don't think I prayed about it for 48 minutes. <laughs> so pray about it for two days before you buy. I don't even think I prayed about two minutes, man. Like, woo, you know, let alone two days. I got in that car, we bought it, and it tanked our bank account. It tanked our savings, it put us in a financial bind for several months, not a year. And it took a decade to stop feeling ill, sick to the stomach. Even now, as I tell the story, I just guess we're telling something else, man. It just makes me sick to think of that time in our life and how long it took us to dig out of that. You know, I got suckered with that car. And First Timothy 6, 9 tells us, People who long to be rich. Now, that doesn't mean they just want to be a millionaire and have tons of money. That's people who want stuff, people who long for possessions. This word rich, can, it's much fuller than that. It's have the money, have the possessions, have all the stuff. People who long for all of that fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires. Last week, we talked about the difference between wisdom and foolishness. If you weren't here, I encourage you to go back and watch that sermon. It's worth your while. But those Harmful desires will plunge us into ruin and destruction, and that's exactly what happened to me. And if I'm honest, as much as I loved how that car performed until it stopped performing, if I loved how nice of a ride it was, as long as I could ride in it, it was in the shop more than we owned it. I also cared just as much about how it made me look, how it made me feel. It was a symbol of status. I had arrived, and I was pretending I was driving a car I couldn't afford to pretend to be somebody I wasn't, thinking that it made me somebody, that it made me look better than who I am. That's just dumb. <laughs> now, I don't say that condescendingly. I say that because I'm that guy. But listen, some of y'all need to hear what I needed to hear at that time. And this might be the only thing you hear today, and it might be the best thing you hear. But this is the truth we need. Your self-worth is not measured at all by your net worth. And your value is not contingent upon the valuables you think you own. 
Your worth is defined by a loving God who created you and formed you and breathed life into you because he desires relationship with you. Your worth and your value is defined by how far God went to death on a cross to save you from the hell you deserve so that you might join him in the heaven that he has for you. And he loves you and he created you and he made you to be with him. That's your worth, that's your dignity, that's your value ascribed to you by God. And nothing of this world can enhance that or compete with that. So don't even try. Now, I wasn't alone in needing to hear that. I wasn't alone in the foolishness of thinking my stuff would make me better than I am. Proverbs 13, 7 tells us that one person pretends to be rich, yet has what? Say it with me, nothing. Pretend to be rich. I got all this stuff, and I don't have any money in the bank. I got debt beyond debt beyond debt. But yet another person pretends to be poor, and yet they have great wealth. You know, the problem is not with possessing things, with possessions. The problem is that so often our possessions begin to possess us. They take ownership of us, maintaining them and guarding them, protecting them. Because you see, the more we consume, the more we are consumed. The more we're consumed by debt and greed and pride and worry and stress. The more we're consumed by the things of this world. But the funny thing is, that study after study after study has shown that people who actually have wealth, people who are actually living in that millionaire kind of zone, they don't live like that. They don't live going out to get everything. They don't pretend they're rich. Even when they are rich, they don't act like they're rich. They're the people who pretend that they are poor. Hey, let's live on less than we have. Let's act like we don't have as much money as we do. That way we can have money in the bank for the rainy day. That way we can give money where we want to bless others. We don't need to spend everything we have. Let's pretend we don't have as much. And those people, they live with freedom and joy because they've discovered the principle that unlocks financial health. They've discovered the principle that will bring peace and freedom in our finances and beyond. Friend, I wanna share with you today the number one secret to financial health and financial peace of mind, contentment. Now, it's not just contentment. When the apostle Paul wrote to his understudy, Timothy, he said this, true godliness with contentment. See, it's, it's a godly contentment. It's godly contentment that we're content in the things of this world, but we're discontent towards the things of God. That's what this godliness means, that we're discontent, that we want more of God, that we want more of his spirit, that we're discontent with our knowledge of scripture, that we want more of God's word in us, that we want a deeper and more vibrant relationship with others in the church and with God himself. We want more converts. We want to see more disciples made, that we're discontent on the holy things, but we're content with the stuff of this world. And when we get to that, that itself is great wealth. You'll never find any wealth that competes or compares to that. In fact, this is what Paul was fleshing out when he wrote to his friends at the church at Philippi. He said, not that I was ever in need, for I have learned, everybody say learned, I said, everybody say learn. That includes y'all online. Say learned. Learn. There you go. I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned. Say learned. I've learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it's with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or with little. And then you've probably heard this quoted before, and you've probably heard it quoted out of context in some sports zone. 
For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. You know, that doesn't mean I can do everything. I, I can do more push-ups than what coach wants me to do in the end zone. That doesn't mean, oh, my team can defeat that team that's, you know, we're the underdogs and they're supposed to be. So we can, no, 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 no. What Paul's getting at here is contentment. Because I can do all things. I can live with plenty or I can live with very little or nothing. I can have the banquet or I can have a, a piece of bread. I can have great wealth. I can have great comfort. I can have none of it. Because my contentment is not found in the things of this world. Paul says contentment is found in Christ and in Christ alone. And because of that, he's content. Because he has Christ. He doesn't need all the others. That's just icing on the cake. Now that kind of contentment doesn't come natural for most of us. I'll be honest, it doesn't come natural for me. I tend to lead towards greed, I tend to lead towards gluttony, I just want more of everything, more stuff, more food, more time, more whatever. And so we have to train ourselves to restrain ourselves from those indulgences, from just always grasping at more. We have to learn contentment. It's a spiritual habit that has to be formed in us. And we gotta learn that contentment is found in Christ alone. You know, if you're not content When you have little, you won't be content when you have a lot. If you're not content with next to nothing, you won't be content when you have nearly everything. You'll just want more of it. Because contentment is a heart issue, not a stuff issue. Contentment is measured in our relationship with God, not in our bank accounts. Not in our possessions, not in our homes, not in our cars, not in our stuff. And so if you're trying to find contentment in anything other than Jesus himself, friend, that's a black hole that's just gonna stay a vacuum, it's gonna suck you and it's gonna suck your life away from you. And you gotta get away from that. But when we realize that in Jesus we have more than we deserve, that we have more than enough in him, when we realize the great grace and love of God for us, that God loves us in such incredible ways, When we realize that, contentment seeks in. So friend, I'm gonna give you just a few ways to learn contentment today. A great way to learn contentment is by serving other people. You know, we talk a lot around here about living on mission. And that means we live on mission in our neighborhoods, in our homes, in our workplaces, in our schools, in the gyms, in the parks. But I think it's really healthy for all of us to go on mission to go on a mission trip, to go to a place like Honduras, or to go to a place like where the fountains serve overseas, to go to some of our ministry partners around the US or even around the block, and to go serve people who don't have Jesus, and to go serve people who don't have as much as we have. In fact, I'm just gonna give you an assignment. Sometime in the next week, I want you to take a drive. Now, if it was nice weather, I'd tell you to take a walk, but it got cold outside, it's that time of year. So take a drive through an area where the people have less resources than you. Take a drive through the part of town where people don't have as much as you have and pray for them. Do a prayer drive around that part of the city or that part of the county. Do a prayer drive and ask God to bless those people. And then here are the three things I want you to do when you do that. Ask God how he would use you to be that blessing. Listen for his response, and then obey. Go do it. 
is it doesn't do any good to pray the prayer and not listen. It doesn't do very much good to pray the prayer and listen and then not obey. You gotta pray, God, how can I bless these people? How can I be your conduit to bring your blessing to them? And then listen because he will answer you. And then do it. And then do it. I mean, you go serve someone else. You'll learn the joy of generosity and the freedom of contentment. Another way we learn contentment is through gratitude. Through gratitude. You know, Jesus warned us. He said, beware, guard against every kind of greed. Did you know there's more than one kind of greed? That's another sermon for another day, so you gotta stick with us, come back sometime. But it says guard against greed. See what I did there? Life is not measured by how much you own. You know, it's hard to be greedy and grateful at the same time. It's hard to be greedy and content. Right? Like, like if you're greedy, and listen, this is my natural wiring. I have to work hard against this. I have to learn and teach myself and train myself for contentment because it doesn't come natural to me. And so the way we do this is by making an encouragement list, or sorry, making a gratitude list. Make a gratitude list of all the things you're grateful for and include your possessions. Listen, if you have a home, maybe it's not the home that you dream of, but you're not homeless. You have a car, maybe it's not your favorite car, maybe it doesn't run as well as you'd like it to, but at least you're not on a bike or foot. You have relationships, even if they're not great, you still got people in your circle who care for you. You still have connection. Make a list of all the things you're grateful for, but especially focus on the people more than the possessions. And make a list of all the people you're grateful for. And do that this week, and then reach out to the people who show up on that list and let them know. Call them up. Get face-to-face with them. Tell them how grateful you are that God has used them in your life. Make a gratitude list. Now, another great way to discover contentment is by giving, by letting go of what we have by loosening our grip on things. And friends, this is beyond the budget, right? This is beyond just the bank account. You you gotta learn to let go, you gotta learn to give, you gotta give up and surrender control and power and the need to always be right and the need to always be so easily offended. You gotta begin giving. Give encouragement to someone, give cheer to someone. Give time. Give your energy, but also give your finances. We learn contentment through giving. You know, my kids will often suggest to me, (laughs) suggest, that might not be the best word for it. My kids often let me know where I should spend my money (laughs) and how much of it I should suggest, right? Dad, buy this, right? Whether it's for them or for somebody else, they're pretty good about letting me know where my money should go and how much of it should go there. But it's kind of fun when I kind of turn the story and I'm like, well, okay, you wanna go halfsies with me on this? Like split the cost or, hey, why don't you provide that thing? Or why don't you purchase that? It's always different, right, when I flip it and they have some ownership in it, right? Because you know it changes the game when it's your money to somebody else. Because it's like it's always easier to spend someone else's money, isn't it? 
It's always easier to spend someone's. It's always easier to spend dad's money. Listen, if I handed you my debit card and I said, hey, would you do me a favor? I, I want to put some, some food in the food pantry collection. Would you go spend $1,000 on my debit card? It'd probably be pretty easy. You go across the street, you go to Kroger, you spend 1000 of my dollars. You might even have fun doing it. Oh, yeah, Fitz is going to buy this for these people. You come back, you put it in, you'd be smiling. Now, I ask you to give 100 of your own, maybe even just 10 of your own dollars to it. Ooh, it's a little trickier. Well, hold on now, preacher. Like, you know. But here's the deal. It should be easier for all of us to give. Because we don't own it. All right, we began this series with this concept from Psalm 24. That the earth is the Lord's and how much? Everything. Everything in this world. The world and all its people. That includes you. That includes me. We don't even belong to ourselves, we belong to him. God owns all of it. And that means whatever you think you own is simply on loan to you from God. So listen, it's dad's money. Go spend it freely. Tell him where he thinks you thinks he, hey dad, here, I'm, I'm gonna do this for beside yourself. I'm gonna do this for that person who doesn't have much. I'm gonna do this for people at the food pantry. Hey God, I'm spending your money and I'm having fun, dad. It should be easier for us to do. Because you know somehow dad always makes up for whatever you spent. Somehow he provides. He makes up for it. Now, I know that as soon as a preacher starts talking about giving away our money, some people are like, whoa, not cool with that. We can talk about saving. We can talk about investing. We can talk about the beautiful picture of God owning it. But once I start talking about giving, I know some people, now here's the deal. Hang with me. Because maybe, just maybe, that's exactly the place that you're not as healthy as you need to be. A few weeks back, my son broke the scaphoid bone. It's a bone just below his thumb. And he's had it in a cast. He gets a cast off in about a week and a half. It will not come soon enough. That thing stinks. It is disgusting. Every parent who's ever had to cast a kid, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Like it itches. It's just pieces have fallen off. I don't know. But when Ethan went into the doctor, his hand was still kind of swollen. They had to make sure, you know, just what was wrong. They were going to take x-rays and all that. But they start by doing this pressure exam. They start pressing on fingers, and that was okay. They start pressing on all these parts of the hand. And they were applying, like, pretty significant pressure, like, pushing down. Ethan's like, ah, yeah, yeah. They press on that scaphoid, and they, they didn't press very hard. Woo, man. I thought the other hand was coming. I thought he was going to break a bone hitting somebody, right? Like, oh, sir, off of that. Could it be that maybe when we don't like God talking about something, that's what's broken and a pressure is being applied to the place, and we're like, oh, hold up, because we know it's broken. And that's exactly where we gotta let the holy healer do his work. We gotta let him speak into the issues of our life that are broken. Some of you, it's money. Some of you are great with your money. Some of you, it's your relationships. Some of you, it's your time. Some of you, I mean, we could go on and on, right? Let God do his work in that part of your life where it needs to be done. So let's just give me some freedom to apply a little pressure today. We talk about money, we talk about giving. Here's what I've learned, is that some people, it's, says in Proverbs, some people are always greedy for more. I gotta work against that in my life. That is my natural wiring. I've gotta work hard against that to learn and practice contentment. But the godly love to give, to give. You wanna know your godliness quotient? Just take a look at what you're giving away. Are you giving away power? Are you giving away 
Prestige, are you giving away reputation? Are you giving away encouragement? Are you giving away love? Are you giving away prayers? Are you giving away time? Are you giving away energy? Are you giving away your money? The godly love to give. I'll tell you this. I, I have never had, in all the times I've preached on money, I've never had a generous person come up and be anything but grateful for it. Happened this week, Wednesday night, talking to some people, and all of a sudden it comes up. They're like, man, we are so glad you're doing the series you're doing. Man, we're loving the quest. It's so good. Man, when we learn generosity, boom, and it's always followed by these great stories. Every Sunday in the series leading up to this, I've had people come up to me after the service thanking me for talking about money. That's not what the preacher expects. It's kind of refreshing. I'm just going to be honest. I've had several emails come thanking me about this. And here's why. Because of the godly love to give, and generous people have discovered the joy of generosity and the freedom that comes with contentment. And they want other people to know the joy and the freedom that they have. So how much do we give? Well, in the Old Testament, in the law, God tells us one-tenth. Now this word, one-tenth, is actually the Hebrew word ma'aser, ma'aser. And it's usually translated tithe. So if you've heard the church or a preacher or me, anybody talk about tithe, that's all it means is one-tenth, one-tenth. One-tenth of the produce of the land, whether grain from the fields or fruit from the trees, belongs to who? To the Lord. And it must be set apart to him as what? As holy. It's an act of worship. It's a worshipful moment given to God that we surrender it to him. And so we have this picture of this, that we bring it to God. See, the tithe is kind of like the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that was there in the Garden of Eden. We, we talked about that week one of this series. God gave Adam and Eve all of creation. He said, all of this is yours, everything except one thing. That tree, stay away from that tree. Everything except the one thing. Because that thing is to remind you that you're not God, I am, says God. And it's to remind you that you think you will have control. Things will get out of control but that's all right because I'm always in control. And so I got you. I'll protect you. I'll provide you. I'll take care of you. When things are out of control and you can't control it, remember God is sovereign over it. See, the tithe is kind of like that. The tithe reminds us that we are a created thing, that we are not God and he is. And that God is a good God. He's a good father who loves us, who will provide for us, who will satisfy us, who will take care of us. He's a protector, provider. He's a good, loving father. And so we can trust him with it. That's the whole point of it. It's not that God needs it. God breathed everything in this world into existence with his breath. You think he needs your money? No, he knows that if you don't give it, that it's bad for you, that you need to be reminded of what he's up to. That's the point of the tithe. But it's so much bigger than your bank account. It's your heart. It's your heart that he's after. See, in Malachi, Malachi says this. He says, bring. Notice the word here, bring. He doesn't say give. He says, bring all the tithes. Bring it, because it's God's in the first place. You can't give what's not yours. He says, just bring back to God. You're just returning to him what's rightfully his in the first place. Bring all the tithe, that 10%. He says, don't bring 8%, don't bring 7%, don't bring 6.3497%. Bring all the tithe into the storehouse. Now, you read just about any commentary, they'll tell you the storehouse of the Old Testament translates to the church of the New Testament. You bring it all into the storehouse. Why? So there will be enough food in the temple Food. Now, that food translated today is spiritual food <clears throat> that we can make disciples, that we can get ministry done. We live in an era where ministry costs money. Everything costs money. We know that. 
Yes, a lot of money. <laughs> Power costs money, right? All of it. Making disciples, this helps fuel that. And God says, if you do, we go on, it says, if you do, I'm gonna open up the windows of heaven for you. I'm gonna pour out a blessing so great you won't even have enough room to take it in. Try it, put me to the test. Only time in scripture God says, test me on it, try me. He says, you bring it in and it's gonna pour out blessing upon blessing upon blessing over you. I just wonder what would happen if the church were actually to do this. The average Christian gives less than 2% to the work of God. And that's in the church and beyond. 3% of Christians tithe. That's three out of 100 people actually practice obedience in this area. Friends, if the church today were to obey God's word and bring it all in. We wouldn't have to worry about fundraisers for all of our parachurch ministries, all those other ministries we support. We wouldn't have to worry about what program the government's gonna do to eradicate poverty and how they're gonna take care of homelessness, how they're gonna provide healthcare, what they're gonna do for people. Because the church could do it all and more if we simply surrendered to God like he asks us to. Now, we're doing that, but there's so much more God wants for us. There's so much more blessing he just wants to pour out. It's like we block ourselves from it. And some people will say, oh, that's like Old Testament, right? Leviticus, man, that's Old Testament. That like comes early on in the law. So Jesus says, Jesus says, what sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law? Ooh, that'd be me. And you Pharisees, I hope that's not me. And hypocrite, I hope that's not me either, right? I'll stick to the religious law, Pharisees, hypocrites. It says, for you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens, your dill and your mint and your cumin, and you give a 10% of all that. But yet you ignore the more important aspects of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. It says, you ignore the big pieces, but you're careful to tithe just a little bit, right? We can get real legalistic about this. Obviously, that's not God's heart. But notice what Jesus says next. Now listen, this is Jesus. I'm just reading it. Jesus says, you should tithe. Doesn't get much clearer than that. You should tithe. But don't neglect the more important things. Don't neglect justice and mercy and faith. Now it doesn't say justice, mercy, and faith gets rid of the tithe. Now it says it's all part of it. You know, New Testament grace never lowers the bar on the Old Testament law. In fact, it just raises its standard. Like New Testament grace just fulfills the Old Testament law. Jesus said, I didn't come to get rid of the law and the prophets. I came to fulfill it. You know, the Old Testament says, Old Testament says, don't commit murder. Jesus says, don't even hate somebody because that hatred in your heart, you've already committed murder right there. Ooh, man, raising the bar. Old Testament says, don't commit adultery. What does Jesus do? He raises the bar. You even look at somebody with lustful intent, you've already committed adultery with that person in your heart. Ah, oh, man. Old Testament says tithe. What does Jesus do? Raises the bar. He says, give me all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Give me all of you, not just some of your stuff. He says, and live generously beyond that. See, it's not that the floor gets lower that the ceiling gets way, way, way higher, friends. And if you're looking for joy and you're looking for purpose and you're looking for hope, 
where you'll find it. You know, I've talked to a lot of people throughout the years and still today. You're like, man, I'm just, I'm trying. My finances are wrecked. It's like I take two steps forward and a hundred steps back. And like, there's always more month left at the end of the money. And I try and I just don't know. And it's like, my finances are always a wreck and I just can't get ahead and I don't know what to do. And could it be, could it be that perhaps that maybe, just maybe, because we're not being obedient to God, that we're missing out on what God has for us. See, right before Malachi tells us to bring it all into the storehouse, Malachi quotes God with this. God says, you have cheated me of the tithes and offerings that are due to me. Just bring it back to me, he says. It's mine to begin with, just bring it back. I'll take care of you. And so because of that, you are under a curse. Now here's how I want you to think of curse, right? We, we love to talk about blessing, we don't like to talk about curse. Blessing and curse is kind of like light and dark. You walk into a dark room, you turn on the light, that's blessing, the darkness is gone. Curse is the absence of blessing. Now sometimes it's the like directed activity of God against somebody, but so often it's God saying, you wanna go that way? I'll let you do your thing. You wanna do this without me? Let's see how that goes for you. Friends, I wonder if we're under the curse, blocking ourselves from blessing. And for what? A measly 10%. You honor God and you unlock blessing. You dishonor God and you invite curse. For 10%? So I just want to tell you something that I found to be true since the day I started this. And I, I was not a consistent tither until I married my wife. She is really the one who led out on this early and taught me. So we got married, all right? We're gonna have a tighter budget. We'll practice contentment and we'll tithe. And so for 22 years, we've been tithing and beyond. And what we found is this. And every other person I've talked to who ties, they know this principle to be true as well. That 90%, I think we got a slide for this, 90% with God's blessing goes so much further than 100% without it. Like what God will do with your 90%, you keep it all for yourself, you can't even come close to touching what God can do when you have the blessing of God in your life. Don't block God's blessings because of worry or fear. Well, last week we talked about budget, and I, I think we are unwise at best if we don't have a budget. And so I wanna give you a really loose outline for a budget, and it, it's in this order of priority. Give first, and give 10%. Some of you are like, ah, it's crazy. Maybe you're not there. We'll work to get you there, all right? Save 10%, and live on 80%. Now, some of you, you're gonna have to work towards that. Some of you, have been there. And it's time to set a new giving goal for yourself. It's time to set a new saving goal. Maybe you need to give 15 and save 15 and live on 70. Some of you, maybe you need to set a higher giving and continually challenge yourself. That's one of the things we do in the Fitz home. Every year, we challenge ourselves to give more, to go a higher percentage. We've never been in want. It's not always been easy. We've had to trust God a lot of times. It's always been a blessing. There's always been joy and contentment and freedom with that. So maybe you're not there. So let me just offer you some, some coaching on that. 
Maybe 10% feels like a million percent. <laughs> maybe it feels like a million bucks. So if you're not giving anything, choose a percentage and start giving that faithfully. Maybe you've been giving, but it's been really inconsistent. Choose that percentage and give it regularly, give it consistently. Maybe you've been giving, but it's less than the tithe. Increase by one or two or 3% to get yourself towards the tithe. Make a goal that each year, maybe every six months, you're gonna bump that up a bit until you get to the tithe. Maybe you've been tithing, but that's become comfortable, that's become easy. It's really not as much a spiritual discipline, a spiritual habit anymore, as it's just like, ah, eh, whatever. See what God might do through your generosity and, and increase that. Now, I mentioned budget. Listen, I, I think that we as people are foolish if we don't have a budget. I think we'd all agree that any organization that does not operate with a budget would be foolish. And so we have a budget here at OCC. In fact, this time of year, every year, we set the new budget for the coming year. And so all of you who are on our email distribution list, you will receive a copy of this in your inbox tomorrow with a whole lot more detail than this. This is just the overview to let you know where the money's gonna go. And if you look, by faith, we have chosen to pursue a higher budget for next year, believing that God will provide. And with this, we wanna provide more church plants around the US and around the world. We wanna support more missionaries like the fountains. We wanna increase and develop even more our next-gen ministries for kids and students and even our young adults. We wanna do more with our ministry partners right here in the city. We wanna enhance and improve our facilities, not for our benefit, but so that our community can be benefited by our church, that we want our church to be the best thing in this community, not just a big building in it. And I wanna invite you to pray about this. Now, what's funny is you notice it's not a prayer for today or next Saturday. That's okay, you can add in your own. <laughs> just read this and wherever God leads you to pray, you pray. But I invite you to pray about this. And then next week, you'll have the opportunity to affirm it. Now here's what affirming the budget means. It doesn't mean you say, oh, I think that's a good budget, I think you guys should do it, go ahead. Yeah, all, all for you making that happen. No, 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 affirming the budget means I'm in that I agree to help accomplish this, that I will do my part to help make this happen. And what you need to know is that your church leaders, your elders, and your staff at this church are all bought into this. That every one of us, we're not gonna ask you to do what we're not. So we've all committed to give at the tithe or beyond. And I don't say this to pat myself on the back, I don't say this arrogance, I say this because you deserve a preacher who's transparent with you and who's accountable to you and who's honest with you. The Fitz fam has decided that we will give beyond the tithe here at the church and then after that, we will give generously to other ministries and missions. We're in it with you. We believe in this. Now church, let me tell you the reality of this. That if all of us were to actually tithe to obey God in this area, that number is way too low. 2.7, way too low. In fact, we'd have to come back at about Q1, first quarter of 2023, and say, hey, we didn't have big enough faith, we set the number too low, we need your approval to raise the budget, to unlock more ministry, more mission. Wouldn't that be incredible if the preacher had to come back and say, by the way, you guys are out giving our budget, will you let us spend what you're giving to go bless the kingdom? I mean, wouldn't that be an awesome thing in the church? Because here's the deal, if we give the way God has asked us to give, that number is way too small. Now, I don't wanna, I don't wanna demean anyone here and make this just about money, because it's not. 
Man, money is the metaphor for every other area of life. Money is probably the biggest competitor we have, right along with food, for our affections for God. But let me tell you, God doesn't just want your money. He wants your heart. He wants your heart. And all of it, not just 10%. He wants all your heart, your mind, your soul, your strength. He wants your marriage. He wants your work and your skills. He wants your relationships. He wants your worries and your fears and your flaws and your failures. And he wants your triumphs and your victories. He wants all of that because he loves you. Because he's a good God. And he doesn't want to see you block his blessings in your life. He wants to open up the floodgates for you. So don't just make this about money. Make it about your heart. But what I know is that when I have a hard time surrendering my money, pretty typically that means I've got a hard time surrendering a lot of other areas of my life as well. But when God's got that, he's usually got the rest of me too. My guess is it's the same way for you. Now, I know this is a tough area for a lot of people, and I know that this is a tough subject for a lot of people. So we don't shame you, and we don't guilt you, and we don't expect that overnight you're gonna get there. If you're at zero, 10% seems like the Millennium Falcon going to light speed, like driving through the snow the other day. <laughs> Take your time. We're with you. But be faithful. And listen, you don't, you don't gotta take my word for it. There's so many people that I've met throughout all my years in ministry who have discovered the joy of generosity and the freedom of contentment. Take their word for it. My name is Allie Lucas. I am the director of the weekday preschool and I'm also uh, the volunteer coordinator for the food pantry. My name's Tony Lucas. My day job is an engineer. And uh, here at the church, I serve with the high school youth. I was taught at a very early age to give. My parents set the example of giving. When I was growing up, my parents didn't have two nickels to rub together. My dad worked at a factory that he was on strike all the time. We were on uh, food stamps regularly. But my, my family always taught. When we got ready to get married, I had a little bit of debt. I was so determined to pay that off. Once we got married, we had zero debt because we just worked at it really hard. We weren't going to spend any money that we didn't agree on. There was, you know, a certain amount of money, I guess I always just agreed that we would talk about before we spent it. And we never went away from that. We always share everything with our finances. And the fruits of it are just fantastic. Marriages have enough trouble without having financial issues. So that's one thing, that when we set the precedent early on in our marriage, to talk about things, to talk about finances. We're just happy with what we have. So when we were married with no kids, we intentionally set our budget up based upon my income so that when we do have kids, Allie can stay home and not feel the pressure to work because no matter how much money you have, you can't buy time. It's given me so much joy, so much more than what money could, I think, give us. We want to be generous givers because God has given us so many things that we just want to be able to give some back. When I was growing up, contentment was you know, going to the yard sales and finding a new dress. My parents modeled contentment 
with things because we didn't have much. Well, God's blessed us so much that we just don't need a whole lot of things. There was a shift that happened in my life in 2013, and I realized that saving isn't the the most important thing in a relationship. The relationship is the most important thing. When we joined OCC in 2007, that was important that I wanted to share what we have learned. Because if you if you practice saving, if you practice budgeting, you'll get there eventually. That doesn't mean you need to get there next year or tomorrow. Sometimes the pace can be slowed down to maintain relationships. Many people have made mistakes with money, us included. Nobody is 100% of this. We need to all be able to talk about money freely. It's not something to be ashamed of. It's fulfilling to see people in our church that want to learn more about finances. 